was about ninety or a hundred thousand dollars, and we rented out on a weekly basis for about fourteen hundred dollars. Are you ready for the best real estate investing advice ever? Join Joe Fairless and today's best ever guests as they share it with you. It's the best ever advice with none of the fluff. Let's go. Heard of crowdfunding and still curious about how you can benefit from it? Well, we've got a step-by-step guide put together just for you by the best ever team and patch of land, the industry's leading crowdfunding experts. The best crowdfunding crash course ever, episodes 152, 159, 166, and 173 will provide you all you need to know to get started and begin benefiting immediately. Whether it's getting access to funds for your project or passively investing in other people's deals. The time is now to get started with Patch of Land. Go to patchofland.com forward slash best ever to grab your copy of the top 10 answers to the top 10 crowdfunding questions. That's P-A-T-C-H-O-F-L-E-N-D.com forward slash best ever. Hi, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm so excited to be with today's guests and and have have our conversation recorded so that you can get all the amazing information from Nicole. Our guest is Nicole Beauchamp. Hi, Nicole. How's it going? Hey, Joe. How are you? I am doing well, and thank you for joining us. Nicole has over a decade of experience as a real estate broker specializing in the representation of buyers and sellers in New York City, where she's based. She has been named the top 100 most influential real estate leaders in 2014 by Inman News. And she's a writer, an educator, a real estate expert, and she's self-proclaimed technology geek. So with that being said, Nicole, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on? Sure. A little more about my background. Before I started selling real estate more than 10 years ago, I designed software for a living. So that's why I might proclaim myself a little bit of a geek. I also have an artistic background. I play piano and clarinet. So kind of the left brain, right brain approach to real estate, both the art and the science. Nice. So how do you blend the art and the science into real estate and, and kind of use the, use that. Cause it clearly, I know I, I get the whole, the, the musical and the software application, but how is that applied to real estate? Well, from a science and a purely analytical perspective, my academic background is actually in statistics and economics. So I can use the available data to help to help an investor or a buyer understand and a seller understand the current value and what the future value might be based on trends, historical trends. And from an artistic perspective, understanding the positioning and the marketing of a property to get people in there and get it sold or get it rented. All right, cool. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Let's go with the data focus first and the scientific approach Using the available data to understand current and future market values or based on trends, what information are you pulling and and how do you find that and and what are you seeing? So here in New York, there are lots of interesting sources. The Real Estate Board of New York has a rather robust property database. I subscribe to a service called Urban Digs, uh, which is a real-time data analytics platform. 
And then there were also just the trends from having been a broker for more than 10 years and knowing how certain buildings performs and, and the boards, seeing what new developments are coming on board based on the acquisition costs and the construction costs and understanding what what the optimal point to purchase is for, from a buyer perspective. And geez, I forgot the rest of your question. That's all right. I threw a lot of questions at you at once. It really wasn't fair of me. I, <laughs> I apologize for that. So, so you're using the, the different resources like Urban Digs and, and things like that to identify. And you're also looking at different developments to see what's the optimal purchase price. Do you work with investors on the cash flow analysis or are you looking at more of the, the market trends and you, you help them find the right price, but then they're responsible for more of the cash flow? You know, from a cash flow analysis perspective, New York is a very interesting market because traditionally cap rates aren't particularly high. So we do a cash flow analysis. We also look at appreciation trends. And for, I have often two kinds of investors. I have the investors who are often purely data driven. They want to find the property that works the best from a numbers perspective. They really don't care where it is. And then there are those individuals who they might want something as an investment property to act as an investment property until they're ready to live in it. So that changes the dynamics and brings in a little bit of the emotional component and not straight data analysis, which is always an interesting and complex issue when that pops up. Oh, absolutely. Which one do you like working with best? You can be honest with us. <laughs> it's, you know, numbers are numbers. If you're investing in something, you're investing. When you're buying something where the end use may ultimately be something that you want, to me, that's a different uh, use case. It just is. And I try to tell people, yeah, this is something, if it's something you want to live in, a home is a home. And that's, that's a different emotional pull. I mean, I have made slightly irrational decisions where the numbers don't make sense. But it's what I wanted, and I and that made me happy, and that was more important ultimately than you know the fact that it wasn't going to cash flow because I didn't look at it as an investment. But I'm a little bit more. There were fewer shades of gray for me. <laughs> and when we talk about, or when you were talking about the artistic side of things, you said something that piqued my curiosity as far as helping get more people to the property to visit it. What are some ways to do that? Well, I mean, I will use an example. I was the listing agent for a property a number of years ago that was rather unique. The owner at the time completely renovated the space to his taste. And the end result being <laughs> that no one else really wanted to buy it. And it was it was widely covered and people thought it was really cool, but no one wanted to buy it. So I had to find ways to sort of get people through the door, whether it was having unique events at the property. And then once I had people on the property, I was able to get their feedback on it, whether they thought it was something that was really cool, would they buy it? Ultimately, the answer was no, but they could tell me, I feel overwhelmed. And in one example, when an architect comes through a space and the architect is overwhelmed, 
you might you might have gone a little bit too far. <laughs> what was on it? What was the deal with this property? There was a half of Zeppelin on the ceiling. <laughs> there were gears and pulleys on the walls. <laughs> there were ice picks hanging places. I mean, there was a moving <laughs> sculpture of flying Zeppelins. It was a pretty unique space. <laughs> oh, my gosh. To put it mildly. Yeah, yeah. So how how did you end up? I mean, I think it'd be easy to get people to to show up there. I mean, it, it sounds like something I'd want to go check out. How do you get them to see the vision of the property for you know how it would traditionally look? We tried the idea of doing renderings and things like that. And part of comically enough with this particular property, this was before virtual staging was kind of in, but I also knew that I was potentially putting myself in a sticky position if I only advertised and used the virtual renderings, and then you showed up and there was an ice pick on the wall, and I also didn't <laughs> want to get attacked by an ice pick. So it was it was very, very difficult. It was very difficult, and ultimately, there was also the concern of if someone doesn't want the space as it is, at what point in time do does an owner take certain renovations into right. account? And I, I would say, I said, look, you know what? These people, they came through, so-and-so came through, and they're talking about, you know, they want to lop off $200,000 because of the stuff that's there. And knowing, I know that you can do the work and you can have it done for, for way less than that. So you need to invest in that. Otherwise, you're going to lose. You're not going to realize the value of the property ultimately. And then do you take more of the scientific approach at that point and talk to them about the comparison of numbers? Yeah. At, at that point, you compare the property to similar properties that are not completely outfitted in a very unique manner. And you explain, this is your competition. This is This is your competition. So if if person X is looking at something for 1.5 and they plan to do a renovation anyway, but maybe they're only planning on $100,000 of renovation. They look at your apartment, also priced at 1.5, but they look at their $100,000 renovation and they think it's going to be $300,000 because they think it's going to cost $200,000 to get rid of your stuff. And it's very difficult. You know, if I were a buyer, Knowing that the listing agent is representing the seller and their job is to get the seller the highest and best price, I might not necessarily take the listing agent's advice that this is not going to be $200,000 to get rid of this stuff. Right. I fully understand why someone would not think that's the case if the listing agent said it. And then if the purchaser does not have a great, a great team in place to help them, they're going to miss the vision. And so in that, in that case, it was a combination of really looking at the data and where we needed to be. And the end case, we had to, get, we had to strip the apartment down. There was no ifs, ands, or buts. And we didn't. We ended up getting multiple offers, actually. You're also an investor, so I, I'm excited to hear your, your answer to this. What is your best real estate investing advice ever? My best advice from an investment standpoint is often I don't usually buy things as investments that I would want to live in because I think those are two different those are two different animals. Some th 
something that I might want to live in, there might be too much wear and tear because if I'm if I'm buying it, I'm probably trying to put a tenant in there. And the idea of having a tenant in an apartment where the appliance package is worth $25,000 might make me a little nervous. But if I buy a couple of studios that I can easily rent out, and if I have to replace the refrigerator, I'm not going to spend you know $5,000 on a Sub-Zero. I'll be out $500 on a refrigerator. And the numbers are very, very different. You know, at the higher end, it becomes a different scenario, but I'm generally a fan of buying things that I probably would not live in, in terms of size, you know, perhaps different finishes. And besides, I'm just looking at the numbers. Now, when I'm buying something that I ultimately want to live in or I want to use as, an, as a vacation property, that's a little bit of a different scenario. Like I have vacation properties in Puerto Rico and there, which is kind of a touchy topic at the moment, given the the news that keeps coming out of there in terms of their debt situation. But anyway, the idea there is, sure, I might want to use, I might want to stay there for a week or two maximum, but the rest of the time, I want it to be a great property that I can rent out by the week. What would the numbers look like on a property like that in Puerto Rico? One of the last ones that I bought was about it was about ninety or a hundred thousand dollars, and we rented out on a weekly basis for about I think it's about it's like two it's about fourteen hundred dollars for the week, and you know it's fully furnished, fully furnished that uh, has cable has internet. And this particular one is an old San Juan in a building that has a pool, and it's about 20 minutes from the airport. And I think out of 52 weeks of the year, we rented it out about 50 weeks of the year, and because there are two weeks that we kind of use for ourselves. And it's probably rented about 45 of those 50 weeks. Wow. The other five weeks, it's rented, but not necessarily at the max rate because, you know, like maybe my sister might be going down, you know, for a week and I'm not going to charge her, you know, the maximum amount, but. Wow. That, that's a great return for the uh, cash in. For the cash in. And I'm very fond of trying to do things where I can easily do a cash deal and possibly get a lower and, you know, get a deal. And then if I have to finance to leverage it later, fine. But I'm fond of using whatever leverage I have. And I I give my investors that same advice, Uh, especially here in New York. Some of them, when they're buying new construction, and if they're buying early in the process, it's like, you know what, you've you've got got the cash. Let's Let's do it that way so you can be one of the first in. You can be one of the first to close, and then you can refinance and leverage after. That's interesting. That's uh, I, I understand that. That's that's an interesting point. I don't think I've I've heard before. Nicole, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure. <laughs> you sound like you're going in with trepidation. A little bit. <laughs> I am a little afraid of lightning. That's all. Oh yeah, well it's actually lightning here where I'm at. So um, we're we're just using make believe lightning in this case. So first, a quick word from our best ever partners. 
crowdfunding. You've heard about it, and now it's time to learn about it. Our best ever sponsor, Patch of Land, is a leading expert in the crowdfunding space, and they've got all the answers to your crowdfunding questions. Go to patchofland.com forward slash best ever and grab your copy of the top 10 answers to the top 10 crowdfunding questions. That's P-A-T-C-H-O-F-L-E-N-D.com forward slash best ever. Best ever book you read? Speed of Trust. Best ever personal growth experience and what'd you learn from it? A couple of years ago, I went to a conference in Hawaii and it was, I think what was great about being there outside of it being December and I was in Hawaii and not in New York (laughs) is that I had the opportunity to really immerse myself in the experience because I was so kind of far off of my usual time grid. Whenever I travel to Europe or to Asia, like people can very easily figure out the time, but somehow Hawaii, they were all very confused. So I had a lot of time to sort of walk around in the morning and go for long walks on the beach and really think about what's going on in my life and what's going on in my business, which I don't really have any other time of the year. So now I, this is the one thing that's on my calendar every year, no no matter what, in December, to attend this event and wrap in some R&R. Best ever deal you've done? Interesting. That is a very tough one. That is a very tough one, but I might say that it might be the sale of that apartment I was talking about earlier. Oh, yeah. You know, it's, it definitely goes down as one for the books. <laughs> it, it's vividly imprinted in my memory, so I, I think we can go with that one. I think the best ever listeners are are visualizing themselves there too, and the after picture too. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. If if you if you Google steampunk apartment in New York, you can see the photos and you can see why it was challenging. What's the best ever project you're most excited about right now? What I'm excited about right now actually has very little to do well not very little to do with my business but it's a small nonprofit that I am the president of here in New York and having the ability to make a difference in the lives of some young people who are studying music it touches it touches my soul very deeply so I'm very excited about that and what's the name of the organization so the best ever listeners the name of the organization is Musical Dream Musical what? Musical Dream musical dream. What would you say is the biggest mistake you've made in real estate? That's a tough one, but I usually use this one. Back in 2006, I thought about you know starting a blog and designing a website, and I did not do it. And I should have done it then. I did eventually do it, but I really should have done it when I thought about it in 2006. And speaking of that, what's the best ever place to reach you? Best ever place to reach me is Nicole.Beauchamp at EVUSA.com or pretty much any way that you can find me online. I generally will answer very, very quickly. Well, thank you, Nicole, for being on the show and sharing your best ever advice and, and talking about both your experience with the steampunk apartment and the story of how to transform the vision for the people looking to purchase something from what's right in their face to having that, that conversation with the, the seller and having and, and making things different because ultimately it's painting a picture in the minds of the potential buyers. And I think that lesson can be applied to anything that we're selling. And it's really not having 
the potential buyer stretch their imagination, but really showing them what it can be and then taking steps accordingly. And then talking about investing in Puerto Rico as well. I mean, that cash on cash return is very good. So thank you for that. So thanks for being on the show, sharing your advice, and we'll talk to you soon. Sure. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Hey, you best ever listener. Do you want more? Then go to joefairless.com, where you'll get tons of free videos, templates, and content to help you get deals done. And remember to subscribe to the best ever show in iTunes, so you can keep getting your daily dose of the best real estate investing advice ever.